This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He's a writer, a director, a producer, a designer, and many other nouns, I'm sure. It's Kirk Thatcher. And you forgot exotic dancer. I yes. did forget yeah. exotic I mean, but dancer. That's, that's, nobody usually pays my minimum. On that. <laughs> yes, hi, thank you. Your beautiful Hollywood home. This is a very Hollywood home. An intimate one-bedroom I think, I think Quentin Tarantino shot, uh, or was it... Um, True Romance was shot somewhere. Oh, yeah. Swingers was shot very Swinger, near yeah, here, exactly. for sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the spirit of yeah. desperate Jean Favreau is <laughs> living in this apartment. <laughs> the spirit of the '90s, and it's uh, acoustically it's acoustically sound. It's oh, yeah. not super pingy. I'm yeah. very I'm very impressed. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. You are an absolute professional. Audio, <laughs> visual, you know it That's all. That's right. I've done it all. <laughs> and exotic dancer. You do have a ton of nouns, so I love asking people like how they do think of themselves, right? Because like you have it's, a it's, ton of different credits that do fit different nouns. It's funny because I have people who've known me for years who still stumble on introducing <laughs> me. He's like a creative writer. Pup. He's a pup. He's he demand creatures on and star and you tell them so you just did the same thing uh it just said it's what happens when you have add and you become an adult um i always thought of myself as a filmmaker or a film creator you know a media creator so all those jobs to me under fall under the umbrella of making yeah creating shows and things um but yeah i've kind of i said i've done everything except I've done even sound recording. I haven't done sound mixing. <laughs> I don't do production sound or camera. I've always stayed away from camera. You don't touch the cameras. I That's don't touch line. the camera. Yeah, it's just it, it's where the technology gets in the way of. It's like playing an instrument. Yeah, like I'm learning guitar in my 50s, which is sad, but you know, <laughs> now I, I heard chicks dig that. Yeah, so I just like to do everything and, and create stuff. Uh, and I've been really fortunate to work with people, particularly early on in my first 10 years, who let me. Um, Leonard Nimoy, Phil Tippett, Jim Henson, uh, you know, kind of my three mentor types uh, who let me do a bunch of stuff. So uh, I got credits on bigger films when I was a smaller fish. And then yeah. as I've gotten to do more other like writing, directing a little higher up on the food chain, uh, you know, they never I said when you're a producer, director or, you know, even the star actor, which I'm not. But they always let it trickle down like, oh, the director wants to write a song. Sure. Fine. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I try and keep doing as much as I can uh, just because I like doing it. It's fun. I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of this is not to make money or be famous is to have fun. Yeah. And, you know, with friends like, you know, when I met you doing that uh, thing at Dragon Con, just having being silly with a bunch of friends. And Yeah. It is always just great to stay tied to the actual spirit of like, what if we made a thing? Yeah. And I think the audience gets that. I think that sort of I mean, all the way back to me from like Monty Python. You know, where it's yeah. just like these guys crack each other up, <laughs> act like complete idiots and get paid for it. So, yeah, and, but that's not what they made, made all their money, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get tired about talking about the punk on the bus? <laughs> yeah, I don't talk about it a lot. It's not a long story, but uh, not really. It was such a fun moment and such a great experience. So it, it's sort of like asking, you know, do you remember that time you were in orgy and it was the best sex you ever had? <laughs> do you hate talking about that? You're like, no, no, it's a good memory. Except I've never been to an orgy, so. All right. Uh, all right, so let's... This is an adult. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we are going to talk about something that is both for kids and adults. Oh, awesome. Uh, your obsession is mm. monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's where I want to start of just when when yeah. I think monster, it's everything from Sesame Street to a uh, horror show. Exactly. It's a big umbrella. 
Uh, and you're exactly right. And for me, it started with dinosaurs and, and Sesame Street. Okay. Um, because dinosaurs were real monsters, if you're using the broad term, that existed. And that just blew my imagination as a little, little kid. And then Sesame Street monsters were funny monsters. And again, <laughs> kind of opened up what a monster could be. So kind of between the two of those. And then probably like six years old, I saw King Kong on TV. The, oh, wow. the original King Kong. I'm that old. And... Uh, and that was just like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make stuff like somewhere between Sesame Street Monsters, King Kong, and Dinosaurs. It's funny. I've kind of done all three. Well, I haven't really done Kong, but... Yeah. Well, um, when you saw Kong, because I saw it as a little kid yeah, at yeah. the library as well. Oh, okay. Uh, in, in the public library was showing King Kong, which is awesome. And uh, it, it obviously captures your imagination, but it also looks made, right? That, yeah. That style of animation. Were you, well, again, I'm a lot younger. Uh, you're younger, sorry. Um, so to me, yeah, I guess... You know, when you're six, you don't. Really, everything looks made. I mean, or everything's real. You know yeah. what I mean? There, the, so the, that delineation doesn't exist. It's not like claymation where you're like, okay, that's obviously. Yeah. Like it had, it was magical. I would say that. Okay. And, and I think even talking to people now who love it, who are you know 30 years old, it, it's it is that the you know I hate to say the creator's hand is in it because it doesn't look fake. It just no. looks magical. I yeah. guess is is the best way to put it. Um, to me, I think it always looked, uh, it invited me into that world, but it also looked rendered. It looked yes, created. It, was it almost, looked as though it yeah, was alive. You know? it was, it, to me, it looked like those museum dioramas come to life. Yeah. And when I was a kid, that was my favorite thing at the Natural History Museums, to just look at, you know, which is what sparked my interest in being an Imagineer at Disney to make theme park rides. It was like, oh, parts of the Caribbean is like a museum exhibit that comes alive. <laughs> and, you know, it's monsters and dinosaurs or pirates or whatever. And... Um, and Disneyland was the other big influence. Yeah. The train ride where you went back in time and you saw T-Rex and, you know, old lava volcano fighting a, what is it, a Styracus, uh, a Triceratops. And and that just creating those worlds and those creatures, whether they were, you know, paleontologically accurate or <laughs> just out of your imagination. And there were no rules, really. Yeah. It was like, well, that's not a monster. You know, I mean, <laughs> you could say, well, that's not a car or that's not a, you know, that's not a pair of pants. But, but, <laughs> but that's why I did not go into clothing design. I'm terrible. At it. Um, I just like big and baggy. So kind of very Issey Miyake from the 80s, just like a big tent has, has cuffs. Were you... Thrilled by monsters or frightened by them? Or I was both? never. I was never frightened. Uh, Kong again as an early one. Well, Sesame Street monsters, kind of their own little thing. They made you laugh. Yeah, Kong. I felt bad for. Like I, I like I wanted to. I wanted to go play with him, or at least right. feed him at the zoo, or you know, go visit him in the jungle. I was never big. I don't scare easily. I've learned as as an adult. I go to these haunt. I have friends who love to go to the you know Universal haunts and stuff. And I just walk through and I'm like, I marvel at the creative creativity or the yeah. production design, but I'm not easily scared. What scares me is like our current political climate, <laughs> I, I, my very adult anxieties. And I was the same as a kid. What scared me was nuclear war. I read Hiroshima in like fourth grade and or 30 seconds over Tokyo. I think it was Hiroshima, but it had pictures of the people, their eyes melted out. And that was my nightmare. Yeah. So monster movies were fun and they were always... I guess thrilled me, but I was never scared. Um, I remember uh, there was one movie that creeped me out. It was a ghost movie. It was an old one from like the forties, like the haunting or something. 
And I remember it unnerved me somehow uh, because I went to, I think because you didn't see anything. It was all basically sound effects. Yeah. You know, the smell of mimosa perfume or something. I think that was the haunting. And uh, the original. My mom loved it. My mom loved horror and mystery, but not gory, old, like yeah. film noir horror. And so she kind of turned me on to that. And, uh, but she, I think, liked more mysteries. And, um, but yeah, I don't scare easily. And I was, it was never the thrill of being scared. It was the thrill of creativity. Like, that's cool. You know, like, <laughs> I, 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 even as a kid, I was very opinionated. What was a good monster design? Or what yeah. was, what looked, what I liked, like the Japanese stuff looked super corny. But I love the fun of it. Yeah. But the kaiju, even now with the, you know, the high-end CG stuff looks goofy to me. I mean, and I enjoy it for that. Yeah. But it's not scary. I think the last film, and it was just good filmmaking, that really put me on edge was Alien, the original Alien. Oh, yeah. You know, that was like unnerving. But I love the design. I, you know, I could talk for an hour just about <laughs> creature design or monster design and what, you know, who I think are good at it and, and why. Um but yeah, no, I wasn't scared as a kid. Yeah. I never scared easily. Do you think that was, how do you think knowing that dinosaurs were real, mm-hmm. how do you think that affected your appreciation of monsters? Because if you don't know dinosaurs are real and right. you see things like King Kong or like right. a, a, you know, a, a well-designed kaiju, that's like a thing just totally out of imagination. Well, I think that but was But when it. you find out like, damn, the- T-Rex is the best designed right. monster ever and it's real. Yeah, I remember asking my mom. She would tell me. I don't remember it. Sorry. I remember because she would tell me. She said when I was like four, I was like, Mom, were there dinosaurs when you were a little girl? Because, you know, you have no concept of time. Yeah. And I knew they were all dead now, but so was my granddad so or my grandmother. So I'm like, all right, so maybe they were alive when Grandma was alive. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. I had no concept, you know, when you're, right. when you're 10 is a, and a million are the same. It's just one and zeros. Uh, so I... I think, actually, it really spurred my interest in science, too. Okay. I loved biology and science because the fact, when you see them, whether in the theme park or in a book, and then realize that walked around, something that looked like that, and here's yeah. their bones, I think that, again, excited my imagination, both in imagining what that would be like, you know, yeah. all, you know, like Jurassic Park does, like, here's what it would look like if they're walking around, um, but also, like, what could I think of? Yeah, that would be a big lumbering creature that you know you'd either feel sorry for or, or want to ride or you know play <laughs> with or run away from. Um, All the standard so, monster interactions. Yeah, <laughs> standard. Yeah, you either want to you want to ride them, feed them, and play with them, or run away from them. Yeah. There's kind of three three psychological psychological reactions to monsters. How did you, as a kid or now as adult, how did you go? Okay, kaiju, real life dinosaurs, King Kong, and then also Grover, like. Yeah. I remember accepting and thinking it's cool that they're monsters, but oh, like, how I, do you how do you tie that together in your mind? To me, again, it's that very open ended term. What a monster is. I mean, technically, scientifically, monster is a. Um, uh, it's usually used with children who are born so deformed that they're called monsters, and and so that's not what anyone uses it like now. <laughs> no, it's not horribly <laughs> deformed children that can't live because they have you know one eyeball and no brain. And their their insides are on their outsides or something, but that's where it comes from. Uh, so to me, monster just meant a thing that wasn't real. Yeah. Uh, and and that was it, a, an imaginary creature. Because I mean, I, dinosaurs technically aren't monsters; they can act monstrously, but everything else is fair game. So Sesame Street 
kind of showed again all this kind of hit at the same time in yeah my young developing brain and uh to me that was the joy of monsters and they could be anything they could be blue and furry and eat cookies or they could be a t-rex that wants to bite your head off yeah um and so or a giant gorilla that you know was misunderstood <laughs> and, and liked the blondes um which i understood too uh and, you know for zeta paintings too although he was really not his monsters were pretty straightforward it was mainly as hot naked women and bulging muscle you know guys but uh, this fantasy art was taking off in the 60s and 70s too, yeah and becoming more than just you know the cover of astounding tales or weird science um and so i think part of it is is uh just the time period yeah and you know monsters i think you know you read the psychological reason for why we love monsters or why people love monsters and why they like to be scared and it's kind of a way to push those buttons where you have control. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, cause I was just reading recently about somebody did an article about why these haunted houses are so popular. I mean, they're going for two months now. They start in September and go through November for, you know, first week in November. Why do people like to be scared? I, again, personally, I don't get scared, but I love, I love the creativity behind yeah. it. So I think again, Sesame street, besides the comedy showed like, Oh, you can make your own monster. You can make a thing. Okay. And that's a monster. So, it, it really sparked my artistic design uh, desires to create stuff that was mine or was original. You know, yeah. it wasn't. I mean, it was all derivative because it all kind of funnels through your brain and comes out. You know, I want to make something that makes me feel the way that Sesame Street monsters. Yeah. Do. You know what I mean? Or I want something that makes me feel like the Week Kong did. Or Bride of Frankenstein was really influential on me, too. The first Frankenstein was boring. I mean, it looked cool, but I was bored out of my mind when okay. I saw it. But then Bride of Frankenstein, A, you had the little people in jars, which was like, oh, yeah, I want little people in jars. Because <laughs> they're like a mermaid or whatever. And then the bride and then Frankenstein was so sad. Yeah. And I was like a chubby kid. And, you know, I liked girls. And they didn't like, they want, I, you know, I want to be your friend. And I was like, <laughs> no, friend bad. I want sex at nine. Um, uh, so... Again, the emotional aspect of the misunderstood creature. I was the odd kid in my family, you know, like any of us, pretty much the biography of middle class white dudes who grew up as the odd man out loving monsters is not original. And and that's what's nice when you kind of famous monsters magazine. Yeah. One thing that pretty much anyone from like 45, maybe at the youngest to probably 65, maybe even 70. But that was this one thing that we all had was famous monsters magazine, which showed all these old movie monsters and then would keep you up to date on what the new, like Planet of the Apes and the Exorcist and, and the new stuff coming out. And it's funny when, when I started ILM at, at 18, all the guys there in the creature shop and it was really just the creature shop. And some of the model guys were all huge, uh, famous monsters fans. Oh yeah. But then camera and optical and all that props. No, they didn't, you know, they might've seen it, but we were all like, so it was this weird brotherhood. It was, you felt like, Oh, these are the cousins I'd never met. The subset. Of, but yeah. we're all somehow culturally genetically related. Um, and I was adopted. So it even felt more like, Oh, I found my people like we, cause my dad like threw and my well, teacher threw out my famous monsters cause I brought to school in third oh, grade. No. And then my dad told me like, you shouldn't be reading. I mean, he wasn't a monster <laughs> bring us back to the, the subject. Yeah. <laughs> to humanity. Yeah. Uh, but he, he thought monster magazines were bad. Like he, he literally told me like, if you continue to read and look at monsters, you'll become a monster. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my God, my dad's insane. But what he meant was starting like, point for, you know, story. cause he would see the gore, yeah. which I didn't care about. Like, you know, those vampires of blood or Reagan, 
Hogan all busted up or something tearing, you know, the demon with a human head. And, and that to me was just okay, but that's not why I liked it. But as a guy who went through World War II and saw real horror, right? That's what he took from it. was like, why would you want that? Why do you want to, to see disfigured gore. people yeah. or, or people with their eyes gouged out or skeletons or, you know, rotting, burned zombies? So for him, it was, it triggered actual horror memories where for me, it was like, oh, that's cool. So I, as an adult, I could see why he thought that. Yeah. But at the time, I'm like, what is? What are you talking about? So for for you, you're describing this really great range where from Sesame Street to King Kong to Frankenstein's monster, they can be about a relating to the, somebody who's on the outside. Yes. To they yeah. can all be escapism of any kind. It can be like, I'm a strong person in a land of beasts, and therefore <laughs> I have power. Or yeah. I am the scary monster, and I have power like right so it, it, well, and it the, ranges and, from all of these different kinds of and there's fulfillment that power thing too i know they you know because then i when it kind of you know matriculated into comic books and the whole thing about you know boys like comic books because of that what is it the power thing of like you, you, you're a chubby art kid but you these guys can beat up bad guys yeah and that's more comics really than monsters but i, I never felt like monsters for me triggered a sense of power I, I know for other people it does. Yeah. I just, to me, it was more the creativity and the imagination, really. Uh, and even now when I go to these haunts, I'm like, oh, great art direction. Or some creature <laughs> runs you're like, oh, that's good makeup. So what were some of the first things that you created then? You 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 started uh, ILM on Return, on of, the Return Jedi? of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. But before that, I'd been making movies and model kits and drawing creatures. I found sketchbooks from when I was like eight or nine. Um, I remember besides famous monsters, there were these bubblegum cards called Otter Odd Rods. And they were monsters, like weird creatures in cars. And I didn't give a crap about a car. <laughs> I, I, really, again, until like my 40s, I started realizing the difference between a Mustang and a, you know, a Ford and a Chevy. Um, but at the time, I was like, these creatures are amazing. They're sort of, you know, if you took Sesame Street monsters and gave them actual skin and scales and teeth as opposed to fur and ping pong balls eyes. But, you know, Daddy Roth was probably the, okay. the, the father of all that. So they grew out of the Daddy Roth stuff um, and Ratfink. And so I loved that stuff. And so I was drawing my own creatures. Again, I could still can't draw a car, but I could draw monsters all day long. <laughs> so I was like, to me, it was a delivery mechanism for these great designs. And I was really happy as a, in my 20s, I met one of the guys who was one of the main illustrators for, for that. And I'm like, dude, he was, he was like, I think he was really, well, you could tell his face. He was really happy. Yeah. Um, but also kind of like you, you, I'm like, are you kidding me? I know guys like now on Etsy or on eBay, people are selling the entire set for hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Thousands probably. Um, if you have the whole set, I have a bunch of them still, but so, uh, those were really influential in me drawing. Okay. I didn't draw dinosaurs so much. I drew monsters like Otter Odrod creatures. And then I then I started getting into what would my creature of the Black Lagoon look like? Ooh. Like I love that design, but like what would my version be? And then hmm, I'm trying to think what movie would have triggered this. I started trying to design again, design my own creatures, but based on biology. Okay. Like, if this was a water planet, what would an alien look like who breathed water but was sentient, you know, creating yeah. machinery, but it was all – and sci I read science fiction. So that would provide very often like, okay, they describe these aliens, you know, ring world and, and, and I don't know, tons of sci-fi. Um, and I would try and draw what they were describing. So I think reading – so I was a real um, avid reader back then. 
Um, <laughs> painting a picture of a fat kid with pimples who read a lot. <laughs> Boy, uh, the ladies came a-running. You are um, not alone yeah, in, know, in the childhood you are describing. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, th- so those stickers uh, were inspirational because they were 2D. They were a drawing. They weren't a, a you know, a uh, actual movie character. Yeah. But really influential. Again, it was that funny monster thing. I, I, I guess if you look at my design cr- creature design career, most of them are fun. They're not. I, I I think the movie House, which I I forgot I actually designed the creatures for. <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm not familiar with that movie. Oh, so what are the fun. creatures like in that? They're mainly mainly horror. There's a giant ex Vietnam vet based on Richard Mall who played him. Oh, okay. Big Ben and I designed him and I did him like a Jack Davis zombie, but with a Vietnam War outfit. But you know, hanging eye and and you know. An early kind of flesh-eaten zombie face. Okay, <laughs> and there's there was a couple there was witches and there was this closet demon that was like a bunch of melted faces, all screaming that came out. It's like a big fleshy blob of of melted human head. So I did a bunch of designs for that, and that stuff's horror and scary. But I think pretty much everything else I've designed was either an alien creature or uh, that had a personality. Yeah, like the Star Wars stuff or the Jedi stuff, and then. Gremlins, you know, they were kind of comedy horror. I were, I helped design. I actually designed their paint jobs in their eyes. I didn't design the. That was Chris Wallace and Tony McVeigh. But, but I was in right there. But you were working on like things like eyes, right? Oh yeah, like, I designed. That's, that's I designed pretty... their eyes and their paint job, and then painted and made most of their eyes. So I mean, that was the the tech, that was the job. That's why they paid you. Nobody sits. Well, now what's crazy is you can get a job sitting around designing creatures. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> back then you had to actually make them. You couldn't just sit there and go, here's my drawing. Good luck. Good luck, gentlemen. Have um, fun in the computer. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because my artistic skills are mediocre, I think. I mean, my sculpting's probably, they're all both medium. Um, I'm not terrible, but I'm not great. And I have friends who are great. And and now, particularly the 2D world, I mean, you can go get a college degree in character design. It used to be it was just animation. And I didn't like 2D animation. I, I mean, I loved it, but I didn't want to do it. Okay. You wanted to see these to make physically things. real yeah, really, exactly. and exist in the world? Physically make things. And uh, and I tended to like the humorous uh, side of it. So uh, while I was drawing these creatures and stuff, and, and on one hand doing more, what's the biological reason for this existing and why yeah. it would look like that? Kind of driving the design through, you know, some sort of logic. And then on the other hand, just doing stuff that's funny. You know, I do a creature of the Black Lagoon type of creature, but give them big goggly eyes and, <laughs> and buck teeth because it made me laugh. You know, it made my friends laugh. Yeah. Um, what was your experience uh, on Jedi in terms of on Return of the Jedi in terms of design? What kind of ah, level of en- well, engagement or, or fulfillment did you get on that? Yeah, it was just the first few months. So it came on early in the. In fact, I helped set up the shop. It was just they had just they were moving it to a new building. So. My first job was to paint the interior, um, so they, they gave me a fork li- or a scissor lift, and because the ceilings are about twenty feet high, and it was just drywall, you know, just patched drywall. So they gave me an airless compressor, and and I didn't realize I was terrified of heights because I never really had to deal with it. And so I'm up on the scissor lift, and I'm shaking so much that the the thing is, sh- you know, I'm shaking the whole yeah. thing. But I, you know, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to crap out the first week. Uh, so I did it and then, you know, stocked it. And then the first few months we would work with this uh, clay called Sculpey, which you can buy at Michael's craft, any craft store has it now. Back then it was harder to find, but 
you could sculpt with it and then bake it in a toaster oven or an oven and then it would harden. You can paint it, you know, glue eyeballs and hair on it. So we were designing all these, a bunch of us kind of after hours at that point because we were still setting up the shop. So somewhat during the day and, and then into the evening, because there was a deadline of like George wants to see like a hundred designs yeah. by let's say April fifteenth. Did you have any marching orders in terms of what you were well, shooting they, for? It was no, just like go crazy, go crazy. They didn't give us a script. I think Phil had seen scenes and new characters, but they were very tight on the scripts. So all we were told was it was a party, <laughs> and, and there was Jabba. We just knew he was like this big boss thing, but Phil had already designed him Jabba. Okay. And uh, was anyone else designed at that point? Just Jabba. Phil, I think, had designed the Rancor because there were some maquettes when I started that had already been done. Okay. Um, but then there was this kind of push for about two months to get 80 to 100 designs out there, mostly for rubber masks, like, you know, yeah. shoulders up and hands. And so I, I think I did four uh, designs and they were because I was told as a party, my, they were all again, my background was all based on gags, but they weren't <laughs> funny looking, they weren't like the odd rod stickers, they were biologically viable, yeah, characters. But I remember one had a pipe with like three <laughs> pipe things on it, and smoke would come out of his nostrils, which were on the top of his head. So he'd, then, you know, so they were all based on because I knew it was like. They said a party, but yeah, you know, and that's all we were told. So I'm like, all right, well, it's a panning shot, so you'll see an alien. Another one was this giant hot tub. I called it hot tub alien, and there was one in there who was a big blobby thing with multiple eyes, and there was a shower head over him, and he was like pulling out a chain. <laughs> and then there was other ones surreptitiously sneaking a drink out of the liquid he was in. <laughs> and uh, there was another one that was like, in fact, it became one of them. At least I know because uh, Pablo Hidalgo, who's like one of the masters of the. Star Wars universe. Yeah, the, yeah. The brain trust guys. He said that became known as rock rock alien or rock apple alien or something. But <laughs> it basically looked like a big green rock. And it was pulling its like skin back to reveal this kind of fleshy skull with pokey eyeballs. This was very Daddy Roth. This big giant tongue was rolling out and it was stabbing an apple with pinchers. <laughs> so the idea was like someone was walking by with a plate of canapes or something. Yeah. I just said it was an apple. And this thing would that looked like I was walking by a mossy rock and that would flip, you know, some of these arms would come out <laughs> and uh, eat, you know, grab an apple and shove it in this mountain and go back. So I did all these gags, but not knowing that George wanted essentially rubber masks. Right. So, but uh, all these things seem, feel very much in the spirit of very Star Wars, kind I, of Star know, Wars it, gags. I, of, that's why I love. I mean, I saw Star Wars and my brain melted. I'm like, that's the world I want. It's fun. Aliens There's some are scary, but some are fun, but they're not cartoony. Yeah. Um, Some are little bats reaching up for an alcoholic drink. Yeah. 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 I mean, they got cartoonier, uh, especially in the prequels with, you know, Jar Jar and Boss and Ass and all that. But yeah. But um, uh, so for me, it was just the fun. But I remember we'd be there at night. Tom Sanamon is one of the creature guys and a very well-known armature maker and animator, stop motion animator. He and Phil Tippett were kind of the two animation guys and, and John Berg. Uh, we would just sit there, like quoting sci-fi movies while we're making these little maquettes. Which, because you'd have to design it, sculpt it, bake it, paint it, finish it. You know, with resin to make the eyes shiny and hair. Yeah. Hair on it. So um, those were good times. But <laughs> I remember. So the big day came, and George came in, and we were kind of ushered out of the room, and it was just George and Phil and a couple other people. I don't even know if Richard Marquand had come on at that point, uh, but. The, Howard Kazanjian, the producer, and, and George went through and picked out the, you know, 30 or 40 that yeah. he wanted. And and had 
bits for them. Like these guys will be the skiff guards. Okay. And we didn't know what that meant. Yeah. We hadn't seen the script. Like, okay. Um, but I remember because I asked Phil, I said, did he even, you know, did he even look at mine? He goes, oh yeah, no, he looked at or Joe Johnston, I think told me because Joe was a, a good friend. That's awesome. I think he said he picked it up and he looked at it and, went, <laughs> and laughed and then put it back down <laughs> realizing like that's too much work for a gag that isn't in the script. You know, it's just right. So, um, so that, you know, made me feel good, but uh, I was a little heartbroken that none of my designs were chosen. Uh, but again, if I'd known what I should have, uh, well, they couldn't have known it, you know, I've been just designing things to slip over your head. Cause that was probably, yeah. uh, or that didn't have a specific gag. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, that's fascinating to think that you, we were talking early on about just following your bliss and making sure that it's fun, a fun pursuit, you know? So having, right. The process was amazing. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it wasn't chosen was a bummer, but I still got to, I mean, then I worked on every alien that was in there except Java that was done in England. Uh, so yeah, I still was like, you could have, I could have paid them and still stayed. <laughs> Kirk, we're going to need $200 a day from you. Okay, dad. <laughs> Hi dad. But there is a world where, because it was not entirely clear what was wanted, that means that something that Lucas could never have imagined wanting might have. Right. I mean, appeared. I think that's, and that's, you know, a testament to George. He kind of let us play. He wasn't like, I want this guy to do this and this. He's like, I need aliens. And, and I'm sure Phil knew more than than we did yeah but uh obviously he did he did the rancor so he knew that was a thing but um what's amazing is uh like seven or eight of the really big creatures are a shadow in the background yeah i mean when they made toys and stuff in the book of the aliens of this and that star wars you see them but in the movie they were i mean because i remember going to see the movie the premiere like holy crap like how and it was mainly the stuff that was not just a rubber mask it was this big banana loop fluky looking thing yeah with a spear and uh Elephant, mon, e- yeah, yeah. Yeah. mon. <laughs> um you know I, I don't think you see one shot i mean he's in the sh- like i know people because i'm on a facebook thing for jedi uh a group oh, okay. a jedi fan group because i worked on it and so they invited me and i'm like sure and they they like taking frames from the movie blow ups from the you know the 4K or whatever the Blu-ray <laughs> going oh I can see isn't that and, you know they're, they're asking me or some of the other guys like is that whatever George named it yeah. and the naming process was hilarious uh, yeah what was the internal naming process yeah I, I'm the kid who knows that the action figure name you know right, I know right. prune Re-ease, face you know Reese yeah Reese was three yeah. eyes we called him three eyes because yeah. he had three eyes so George George would take the name and then just. Scramble it. So Reese is it's three, three eyes. eyes. And of course Nam it is. Num was number nine. Okay. That Literally one I've was heard number before. Yeah, okay. Uh, but Reese is one of those things of like it's it's so yeah. for my youth I never would have yeah, questioned have, that obvious like, oh, that's three obviously eyes. three eyes. Yeah, well, that's it when you hear it. I mean, like General Grievous. I mean, George isn't General Grievous is pretty obvious across yeah, I know, the board. Exactly. General <laughs> Grievous. I was I was wrote a parody thing of Star Wars where it's called like, you know, Darth Badman. <laughs> really? Well, somebody this is something I just learned. Vader is father in German. Vader. Yeah. So there's it's dark father. And you're like, oh God. It's it's like when you hear it, you're like, oh God, really? It's that obvious. Yeah, and there's all sorts of back and forth about yeah. whether or not Lucas was even aware of that. Oh, at yeah. The I time. mean to like, me. Yeah. To me, it seems like C-3PO is the only one who's like, okay, that didn't come from something. R2-D2, everyone knows that one. Yeah, the real 2 Dalek 2 yeah. Uh, Ewoks were the opposite of Wookiees. <laughs> and there was also a Miwok village in, there was the local Indians of the Bay Area. So yeah. The Miwok, so he just lopped off the M. So speaking of the Ewoks, mm. do you consider the Ewoks to be monsters? <laughs> From a design perspective, a no, philosophy perspective? No, either creatures, but not monsters. Okay. I, I think monster has some semblance of 
threat. Even Cookie Monster, if you're a cookie, is scary. Yeah. Elmo, Elmo is considerably, he's a Sesame Street monster, but is he a monster? No. But Grover not. plays with that. Even like his right. famous book is, there's a right. monster, right, at right. the end of this and book, plays yeah. with this idea that in theory a monster is so, dangerous. But I mean, Ewoks, they, they hint that they were eating stormtroopers, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but. It's, it's been know. put in some modern canon. And I use Creature a lot now. Like I did a, a series. Um, and also not to use the phrase monster. I did a series called the curious creations of Christine McConnell and there's a werewolf and a mummified cat and a Frankenstein raccoon. <laughs> and, and the, in the press Netflix, it was on Netflix and they wanted to call them Muppets. And I'm like, do not call them puppets or Muppets because everyone think, Oh, it's a kid show. And we yeah. worked really hard. And I said, call them creatures. They go, we'll call them monsters. I'm like, but then people think they're running around, you know, uh, I said, use, can we use creatures? Yeah. So that's the word I like because it doesn't denote negative or positive. It's just a creature. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, this is my, <laughs> the world according to Kirk, uh, or the monster, you know, monster book of, of Kirk's phrases. They're creatures, <laughs> but they're not I monsters. find that really, really helpful because, uh, you know, I, I'm a big Star Wars guy. I talk about it a lot. Uh, and there is that difference between, like, the Rancor is a monster. Right, it's but Akbar is a creature. Big, yeah, he's a right. sentient person with feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so he likes to smoke a pipe. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So there's monsters and creatures. Uh, and, and Jedi's full of both. Uh, what's funny is it's a huge puppet movie, which most people, like, don't, most people don't know Neam Numb was a puppet. Oh, Except wow. when he's walking around, he's a, that whole head thing is, is a puppet rig. Um, Akbar, I think people, a lot of people know that. Obviously, Salacious, Jabba. Rancor was a puppet. It wasn't stop motion. It was yeah. a puppet. Um, that movie is riddled with puppets. I didn't even think of it that way until I was asked at a puppet conference to talk about <laughs> Jedi as a puppet movie. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You oh, yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it is a total yeah. puppet, puppet yeah. movie. Have you ever made in your life a different choice because of your love of monsters? Like something about monsters has made you go, I got to make a different uh, financial decision, a career <laughs> decision, a romantic decision. Oh, well, not a romantic decision. <laughs> <laughs> that girl hates monsters. I would never date her. Um, that's interesting because of monsters. Uh, I mean, I've taken jobs that I knew weren't, you know, fiscally particularly great, but it was fun to, you know, work on a creature or something. Um, or I wouldn't even get credit, but, you know. Okay. More like that as opposed to any major like I, I wasn't offered like you can do fast and furious six <laughs> or curious creations of christy mccall like oh well which one has monsters <laughs> we're like which one can you know feed me for the next two years uh so yeah I, I don't think there's again that would be it is i've just taken jobs or gigs where there were monsters a part of it where i wasn't even getting credit or a lot of money but i just loved working on stuff like that but if it, if it was fast and furious or something or, or there was another franchise the uh, furry yeah. and sad whatever that was a, just as big of a oh absolutely of a franchise, even if it wasn't like, as big and the money in other words like fast and furious will give you you know 600 500 thousand dollars and this one will give you 300 i'm like you know what i'm so much that's my wheelhouse yeah fast and furious i can't i don't give a crap I, I just think those movies i mean they're fun but it's not my it's not your wheelhouse yeah. and i'm not that big of a 
<laughs> a whore where I'm just like, oh, it's more money. Great. I'll do it. Because, you know, I try and do good work and I think I would not yeah. I know what I'd bring to Fast and Furious except maybe more humor. If um, they said Fast and Furious is really, vampire. We're, we're doing monsters now. <laughs> yeah. Fast and Furious <laughs> versus the vampires. I'm like, I'm in. Even vampires, like too, they're monstrous, but they're not super monstery. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'd do it. How has your, your personal monster design aesthetic evolved? Because you talked about starting with a real sense of comedy, a real sense of yeah. gags, a sense of biology. Yeah. Has it changed? I think part of it is unfortunately due to uh, work experience, knowing what's hard to do and what's easier to do. So I sometimes will default to I know this is possible for the budget and the schedule because very often I'm the director, producer. Um, It's not pie in the sky, do whatever you want anymore. I try to default back like, okay, what if money were no object? Um, but I also feel that's like Lucy in the football. It's like, yeah. okay, uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. And they're like, we can't afford that. And I've even had producers go, yeah, whatever you want, more in the writing world. But I wrote a Muppet script, which was, you know, it was a sci-fi parody. It was called Muppets in Space. They made Muppets from Space, which was not my movie. But Muppets in Space. And it was all sci-fi with aliens and creatures. And yeah. Of, and um, I remember while I'm writing it, kind of going, whatever it is. And they were like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just, you know, write the best script possible. So then I did, knowing, oh, this is... But I still, even the back of my mind, because there was like a... I remember this was funny. And it it speaks to, you know, having production experience as opposed to just being a a writer. Uh, I written a scene where Kermit has to perform a series of tests in front of a stadium of angry aliens. (laughs) And, And... I remember one of the development executives was like, we can't, why did you even write? Like, we can't afford to do a stadium of aliens. Like, we just, you know, and I'm like, it's a bunch of colored dots with, like, <laughs> then you cut to a, you know, a shot of 20 of them and that's what we build. But yeah, yeah it's, that's the magic of movies. You don't actually, sh- we don't have to bake 200,000 aliens. We have to make 20, which will be in every other scene too in the background. Um, so, you know, again, it, it kind of inspires more my writing than my, my, if I'm designing specifically, like right now I'm designing a, it's not monsters really, it's creatures for a, a, a show. We're just in the pitching stage. Yeah. But uh, because they want them to be physical puppets, not CG, not animated, I am using my experience. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think they hired me, uh, not only to create it, but to design the characters. Because I know, okay, this you can do this. Yeah. And you can shoot it on a TV schedule, you know, TV show schedule. Although, you know, Dinosaurs, the series Dinosaurs that I designed the characters for, we, we got it down. Like The rubber monster thing is not as heinous and as difficult as it used to be. Of course, it got to the nadir right when CG took off. Yeah. I think the first year Dinosaurs came out was when Jurassic Park came out. Is it, it This is the old sitcom, right? The sitcom okay. Dinosaurs. Yeah, it came sure out was, in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I remember yeah. it. Yeah, so... Uh, and you designed those? Yeah, I designed the whole show. Yeah, that, 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 was, uh, that baby was, has haunted my dreams. <laughs> That was decades. the high point of funny, but with scales, you know, like yeah. it's real. I mean, that to me was my, the one thing that actually got made that I had some uh, effect on because I was on the show for three out of the four seasons. Um, but I designed most of the secondary characters and uh, used my love of, I was aware, I was like, you know, creatures, dinosaurs and comedy all melted together in this perfect storm of that of that show yeah and i've been trying to do stuff like that ever since with aliens or something but it it's uh again what i was saying is the the fact that the rubber 
and that's what I use for just actual physical creatures, could yeah. do. We got it down to five days a week, just like a, a single camera sitcom. You know, our schedule was wow. the same as Malcolm in the Middle, um, <laughs> except we had walking, talking dinosaurs, uh, which is a real testament to the Jim Henson creature shop because they, I mean, part of it was a necessity. We just, there's no way we could afford to shoot seven day episodes. Yeah. I think we did for the first three and then they figured out what they needed to fix and all that. But now CG, it's funny. Now there's this kind of pushback on CG because with CG, you can do anything. And so they tend to. Yeah. In fact, if we get to design, that's one of my biggest beefs about contemporary creature design is these guys are amazing on ZBrush, which is sort of the de facto computer sculpting uh, uh, tool. Um, But they do everything. There's all these creatures come out like the Kaiju again in the, like the Pacific Rim 2 and even a bit in 1, there's sort of everything in the kitchen sink, like a, a million, you know, little theater fingers and you yeah. know, uh, 70 eyes, and they're just sort of stacked on stacked on stacked, and you're just like, I don't, I, it looks like a Lego set exploded with creature parts, and, is, you know, and I can see its head and its yeah. arms. But um, I, I think there's... And because of that, those things tend to look um, fake, you know, yeah. the, the threat seems like, wow, I mean, and I've gone to movies where I've gone, wow, amazing effects, but yeah. that's what you're thinking, not that thing looked real. Do you feel like the design is a loss of a sort of central idea of yeah, what that monster absolutely. might represent well, or, or be? It's the story. It's it's the, it's what's the, you know, again, this, this had to be hammered into my head because I started out like, oh, why are the monsters suck? The story is good, but the monsters were dumb. Um, <laughs> and now you see great monsters and the story is dumb. Uh, uh I think, and and sometimes it's because like on Jedi we weren't clued in on the script. Right, it's like design some big monsters, so you know the lead people are okay. But like, why is it? Is it, you know, is it was it mummified and it's come back? I mean, does it drink the blood of the living and get bigger? I mean, what? Yeah, what are the story elements and what are we supposed to feel about? Are we supposed to go ultimately? Oh, it's just trying to make you know, it's it's the Horta in Star Trek. It's just trying to have its baby. Yeah, you know, and it's just a blob on the floor, but it worked. It wasn't particularly clever. It looked like a wad of snotty chewing gum, but. It worked because the story was great, and you realize this completely alien thing. Completely alien. That, that completely I think, is the important alien. part of that. It doesn't like, have a face. You can communicate with that, and it right. might be relatable and need something it, relatable. And yeah. it just wanted to have its lay its eggs and be left alone. The miners didn't know. So, you know, that's a testament, too, to Star Trek. But to me, that didn't have to have nowadays. That thing would look like, you know, Godzilla's rectum exploded out and <laughs> dragged out of his insides with him. And you'd be like... Jesus, what am I looking at? You know, uh, Spock, go mind meld with <laughs> yeah, Godzilla's yeah, rectum. Just, I'm just going to use a glove. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think, but I, I think a lot of it is that. And again, it might just be product. I mean, productions now are insane. I have friends who work on an ILM and the, the, the schedules they're given and they're finishing shots like the day before it aired. You know, yeah. It's the premiere. Um, so a lot of times it's just the madness of, of this business where, I think producers, this is just, again, coming from working in the business almost 40 years. I think they realize it's better to start two months late and pay a little overtime yeah. than have people work luxuriously at a real, you know, at a healthy rate. <laughs> because why the hell should we pay them? It, it, it ends up on the screen anyway. And then some uh. people, are, so they pay up, you know, triple golden, double <laughs> double jeopardy uh, <laughs> overtime to get it done. And, and stuff's just thrown together at the last minute or they don't, you know, and so that doesn't help it look real. Yeah. Um, my, personally, I think the best way right now, depending on, again, every job's different, but uh, 
Where the Wild Things Are was a, a Henson collaboration with, I forgot who did the CG on the faces, but it's the blend of both worlds. Like the big walk around creatures were great. Yeah. Their faces to animate them in real time, all the circuitry and everything. And, um, you know, you're having a kid standing right there and you <laughs> of all the um, yeah. servos working. So it was a perfect solution because they look, they're really there. They're yeah. casting real shadows. The kid can relate to them, but. The, the subtle details in the face were, were animated afterwards. And I, I think, and they did some of that with the new Dark Crystal uh, series. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Age of Resistance on Netflix. Uh, same thing. They didn't use it as much. It was mostly uh, real puppets. But that's what I was saying. There's this pushback now for like, that's really there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's always the right tool for the job. I, I think if you're telling a story with emotions and all that, it's better for something to be it where they're sorry where they're reacting with people yeah and that's the interesting thing about um, et wouldn't have worked if it was cg no if it was a dwarf in a green screen suit with ping pong balls on his head it would not have had that even as dopey as that design was and i saw it i, I painted uh extra body parts on it uh <laughs> and so and this is before the movie came out it was very secret as a spielberg's alien movie and i went down and they I went over to Carlo Rambaldi's shop and I saw this thing and he's standing there in the Da Vinci pose with his arms out. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. And he was painted like flat pink. Really? Yeah. Was that, uh, that was why? Carlo Rambaldi. He was not a great artist. He was a great engineer. Um, and Craig Reardon, who's, uh, was a mentor of mine early on had painted the skins and had, I guess, a falling out with Carlo cause he was tough to get along with. I was told I it was fine with me. So Craig had done, I guess, the original skins, but then had b- bolted and they had, you know, this rubber wears out, especially if it's being used as much. So they needed someone to to paint it. So the ILM said, you're on this secret mission. So I came down <laughs> and painted, I painted the extra skins in my parents' garage, which is where my old compressor and paint stuff was. And uh, But I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, it's terrible. I went back to ILM and they said, well, you know, because nobody else nobody had else seen Nobody else had anything. seen E.T.? I said, Spielberg, it's going to be the worst movie ever. <laughs> this thing is the dumbest design. It makes no sense. He's sitting on his feet. He's got no legs. His <laughs> head is ginormous. His arms are like pipe stems. It's just, his eyes are cool because Carlo showed me his, he had pupils that went in and out. So like yeah, the mechanics were great. But I'm like, the, it's terrible. Like his head looks, it doesn't make sense. It's terrible. Yeah. Biologically impossible. <laughs> that was the biggest movie of, of the year, if not a few years. And one of the best creatures movies and can't call them a monster but yeah um so again it, it that to me is i use that often as a point of if your story is strong your creature design doesn't have to be overly complicated i mean he was basically eyes and a mouth yeah you know he's kind of a, a little pot belly on feet yeah. with an emotive face yeah. and, and long touchy fingers he yeah. wasn't a, you know and that's clearly what, alien but not threatening is yeah and, and what you what you get into is psychology really the design is site for creatures and movies i mean not all design but probably most design because it's designing it for humans, whether it's a car or a building or a, a, a couch or a creature. Like, what are you supposed to feel about that? Is this yeah. creature supposed to be alien but not threatening? Or the alien and aliens, the Geiger thing. It's completely threatening. You will, and you know you oh, can't yes. have dialogue. You know it's never going to talk to you. Yes, you're not going to have a You're not going to be like, hey, 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 slow down. <laughs> slow down. So put that back in your mouth. Put that other mouth back in your mouth. Stop drooling on me and let's talk this out. With multiple mouths, you'd think you'd be right. better at communicating, right. alien. Exactly. <laughs> Um, in fact, I, I put that in my Muppet script where there's this alien that looked like that with the mouth in a mouth in it, but it had this, you know, boy, can talk like this. Like, hey, you guys, no, I'm not going to eat you. I'm a carrion eater. So they're they were thrown to this alien prison. He's like, no, no, you probably have two or three weeks. We're going to play games and talk. So it was like a worse kind of hell. It's like, oh, great. You're just waiting for us to die. Then I'll eat your corpses. 
uh, we're going to move on to the yes. how obsessed are you questions. So I always ask oh. my guests, uh, there's, oh. no, there's no right or wrong answers. Right. Do you think about monsters every day? Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> not every day. Is that just because you have other interests as well? I have adult interests. <laughs> <laughs> I think monsters, especially when you've made them your career, counts as an adult interest. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so when people <clears throat> walk into your home, can they? is there physical evidence that yes, you're obsessed with monsters? But it's not in the living room, dining room. Well, yeah, there's not in the living room, dining room. In the public areas, there isn't. I didn't want to have... Like, I grew up and, you know, worked in the monster biz, and tons of friends are creature creators. And you go to the yeah. house, and it'd be, like, King Kong poster in the living room and, and you know, a zombie in the corner. And I thought it was cool. I just, to me, I wanted my house for a social entertaining space to be just a nice house. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I like art. I just like um, turn of the century, well, turn of the last, not the previous century, <laughs> um, Art Nouveau and uh, arts and crafts. So, it, it's very... I look like I look like a little old Victorian lady's house, <laughs> like you know, lovely oak furniture and, and Art Nouveau, Alphonse Mucha paintings and lovely vases. And then what's funny is there's like a Totoro in the corner and a ch- okay. stuffed Chewbacca. So a little bit, but it's more kind of like throw pillowy. But then once you go <laughs> to the back of the house where my offices and stuff are, yeah, and then it's skeletons and creatures and bats and monsters okay and, you know, victorian on the- lady on the outside <laughs> monster on the inside yeah that's me <laughs> yes yes dear are you a big monster merch collector is that a way you express your obsession yeah, yeah I, uh, yes well and i i monsters and like sideshow collectibles okay uh, that company i'm friends with it. i knew the owner the, one of the creator uh, before there was sideshow he used to help us with the creature stuff on on dinosaurs um, so yeah, I had a collection worth about $70,000. It was robbed. I was, it was oh, stolen out of a, wow. yeah. And there was creatures, Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, classic universal, mon- like five versions of Frankenstein, three creatures, a bunch of Hellboy stuff. Wow. And, uh, and some superhero stuff too, but the monster ones like Ben Grimm is the thing and the Hulk. And yeah, so yes, I, I do collect that stuff. I've, I've had to, um, you know, curtail it because it's like, well, do I, cause I have a mortgage. I've had a house for <laughs> 26 years and you know, in the, in the, in the slim years, you're like, Oh man, if I hadn't spent three grand on you know that really cool, incredible Hulk life-size head, I could pay my mortgage this month. So, uh, is there I, any merch you wouldn't buy? Is there anything that's like too far? Would you do shower curtains, underwear? Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't do adult underoos. I don't. Yeah, uh, shower curtains again. Uh, it's mainly sculptures or two D paintings. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, it's about them living in the physical space. Yeah, that's my thing. It's yeah. like in the physical space. But yeah, decorating the house, like you said, I mean, I, I do have some, like, stuff for Halloween yeah. I put out. But yeah, no, I'm not obsessed to the point. You know, I know, like, Star Wars collectors, like, yeah, they have adult Star Wars underwear and socks. And, yeah. And I have more of some Halloween stuff that's more fun. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not obsessed to the point where I live in a giant monster house. <laughs> if you heard someone saying, uh, blatantly incorrect facts about monsters at a party. <laughs> would you correct them? Would I mansplain monsters? <laughs> uh, it depends. If they're just having fun and going, oh, and King Kong was made in 1949. <laughs> You're like, I, yeah, I'm not going to jump on him. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I might go, actually, you know, it was made in, in 30, whatever, 32, whatever. I don't even know. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not that guy. Does it, would it affect, that's a great detail of just like uh, a little fact, the date. Right. But if somebody was saying something that you thought was deeply untrue. The, well, and again, it probably comes down to opinion. If yeah. If someone said, 
I think Creature of Lacoon is a terrible design. I would be like, whoa, slow your roll. <laughs> slow your roll. Or, you know, War of the Gargantuas. Those are the best Tojo monsters ever made. I'd be yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk. Like, why, at first I'd say, why do you say that? Because, again, opinion, I'm not right. And they're not, you know, but facts, I, I, again, I guess it depends on the situation. Yeah. In front of game show and it's my partner. I'm like, no! <laughs> you fool. You, <laughs> you blind idiot. fool. <laughs> would you ever cosplay as a monster at a convention? <laughs> when I have cosplayed, I, I go with comfort. I, I used to do uh, I used to do parties in the eighties. I'd cosplay yeah. as a monster, but now I go as like the Big Lebowski because I look like him. And I thought when I saw the new uh, uh, Avengers movie, I thought, oh, <laughs> Fat Thor, that's my jam. Just dye my beard brown. I got the hair. I've got the bathrobes and the plaid pajamas. It's, that cosplay was a gift to people who already uh, cosplay it, Lebowski. Well, it's, it's what's funny is it's a cosplay. It's a cosplay gift to. Half the guys that go to Comic Con because we're all overweight white guys with beards. It's like, oh, dude, now I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, monsters. No, it's just way too much makeup and work. And I, yeah. I did that. Like I did that in the '80s when I didn't have a house and I yeah. had extra income and I I had a shop or I worked at a shop and you'd spend. I'm mean, at ILM and at Chris Wallace's doing Gremlins. Like Halloween started two months early and we're yeah. all making molds and making our you know and not. Trying to keep it from everyone, so so you like designed your own monster oh, for yeah. Halloween. I went, I went uh, as uh, Jesus. I'm probably like fire. I went as a werewolf. My werewolf. I went as a cyborg one year. I went as uh, the Beast from Beauty and the Beast because I had a hot date. <laughs> I said you're gonna go as the Beauty because she had a Renaissance fair. I met her at the Ren fair. So you just wear your Ren outfit. I'm gonna do the Beast. So I okay. did a whole elaborate Beast head and hands. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I can see since you got to do that at such a high level of right, sort of. Yeah, and also realize Active what a pain cosplay. in the neck it is to be at a party with, with teeth in your mouth and contact lenses, and you can't really see, and you can't you can't eat or drink without, and you take your teeth out, and you have a drink, and you put them back. You're like, oh, God, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, people know I do it. I've done it. I've, yeah. That's the adulting part. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good answer. This is kind of a weird question, but Sorry, it, goes, it goes into the darkness of, uh, of what mm, monsters can express. Yes. Would you want anyone to dress up as a monster at your funeral? Oh sure, I'd be very. I would be very happy about that. <laughs> I would be flattered, especially if it's a monster I designed. In fact, if <laughs> if people cosplayed as the characters from Dinosaurs at my funeral, I would, I would, I would be incredibly. happy. That would be a unique that and would, wonderful funeral. That would be really good, or at least one. You know, yeah. like somebody comes as BP Richfield, just a giant Styracosaurus. <laughs> if uh, if aliens visited Earth, yes. and you were picked to greet them, oh yes, would you bring them a monster design to explain humanity? <laughs> No, no, I would bring them. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting question. I, I don't want to be flippant about it. What, no, I don't think I would bring them a monster design because that would either terrify them. And I think we, if they've been watching us, they think they've seen enough monstrous behavior that they would be like, oh, yeah, no. Like, Is this some god of yours? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I would bring a monster. OK, you'd bring them something beautiful and pure. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what's the baseline here? Do they speak? Are, are we communicating? <laughs> like, I I think about this, actually. It's, oh, yeah. I'm way into the UFO. Like, I could do another thing about obsession oh, yeah. with UFO stuff. There you go. Next time we'll do UFOs. <laughs> but uh, I've actually thought about that. Like, who would be? I used to say Billy Connolly would be the perfect one to create oh, aliens. Oh, yeah. Because he tells great stories. He runs the gamut of humanity from sweetness to complete madness. Yeah. And it's just the most charming. I'm sure there's other people equally as charming, but Billy is someone I worked with. And, and 
you could just sit with him for hours and just sit there with it going. <laughs> and uh, then, we'll, yeah. you know, so I'll be like, that guy should be our ambassador from Earth or someone like that. <laughs> you so, would yeah. show them Billy Connolly. Yeah, I'd Billy Connolly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring them Boris Karloff or, you know, the Frankenstein's monster. This is the last How Obsessed Are You question. Uh-oh. So if you just designed a beautiful, perfect monster, mm. but then... <laughs> Every day. <laughs> a bear came and grabbed the drawing, <laughs> would you try to get it back from the bear? Yeah. I mean, if it was... You know, if it wasn't on my computer, I didn't have, couldn't make a copy of it. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of work. It, okay, it, designing it, designing something that I like, and I think it because you know I'm really picky about other people's designs, and I you know pretty much hate everything I do <laughs> un, until sometimes usually just time. But like dinosaurs, I was really proud of that. I think that worked, and I had a lot of support with the company. And the the nice thing was the producers. Well, Brian Henson was incredibly supportive. Yeah. And then the two writers were like, we don't know design. If you like it. I mean, they, they had a couple notes. In fact, the biggest note, the two characters that nobody touched was the baby and uh, Richfield. <laughs> like everyone just like, that's great. Make that. And I would help. I didn't sculpt them. I worked yeah. with the sculptors, but that was sort of, but uh, I remember Earl, this is a story I've told, but the dad, and you even look at the original drawing that you can see on the DVD, uh, he had a bigger jaw. He looked more, because he was kind of like a blowhard. Yeah. You know, and, and Michael Jacobs, the executive producer, the guy who technically created the show with his partner, Bob, but Michael was the 800-pound gorilla. Um, metaphorically, he was a very healthy, fit man. Um, he, he said, oh, no, he looks mean. He looks mean. And we're like, well, we're sculpting him with a generic blank expression, and he's got a big jaw because he wanted to like, no, no, no. No, you got to take that jaw down. And we're like, okay, fine. So he took it down. And then after the first season, he's like, he always looks like an idiot. He's, he's, he's just like this big dopey. Blah, blah, blah. We're like, well, yeah, because you made us take his, his jaw, jaw down. The original drawing, he, he looked like he would knock your block off, and then he could look like an idiot. But you just took out that he, could ever, he was ever a threat. Yeah. Um, you can't get back to psychology. Yeah, the power uh, of the jaw. But so it was funny. So yeah, we, we shaved down his jaw. And he's like, well, how do we change? I was like, it's too late, man. You can't suddenly make his jaw grow. <laughs> um, uh, animation, you could have cheated it. But not, yeah. yeah. I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise do you have for this obsession with monsters? For monsters? Oh, well, it'll probably be just my generic monster. <laughs> like that would probably be my, my monster. That's my go-to, just kind of that inhaley, growly, snarly thing. Uh, that's great. It's good uh, for werewolves, too. I, I also ask everyone to uh, give a rating to their obsession. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, where would you put yourself? Probably an 8. That's the first number that came to mind. Is like somewhere between 7 and a half and 8. Okay. Like, I do think about monsters a lot. And, and I'm using the umbrella of creatures. Yeah. And, and, I mean, because... I would say out of all the shows I've created and I'm pitching even currently, more than 73 quarters of them are creature monster based. Again, I use creatures for monsters, but have either aliens or, you know, weird creatures or earth creatures that are mutated, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's pretty it's been hard actually because you know i try and get on a regular sitcom as a writer and they're like well, yeah what have you done and i'm like well there's this alien show and there's christine mcconnell and there's the muppets and like have you written for people I'm like it's just comedy it's just comedy it's just comedy it's like if you write yeah. for tig tone and someone goes but have you written for you know not barbarians and I'm like, it's comedy i can man. write not barbarians i know it is weird uh, it's a weird ghetto that yeah. i pit- pigeonholed into yeah everything does pit- nobody likes, tries to pigeonhole you nobody wants to get their pigeonholed <laughs> uh We've reached the plug-in section of the podcast, so where can oh. people find you, and, and where do you want uh, them to find yes. you? Yes. Um, I sound like uh, Matt Berry. Yes. <laughs> I can hear you, Clem Fandango. That's my new, that's my new obsession. <laughs> that's Toast of London. I just love that show. Um, 
<sighs> well, there's my website that I just put up like a month ago, www.kirkrthatcher.com, all one awesome. word. Yeah, the R in the middle is important, I found. Uh, <laughs> just Kirk Thatcher, you get IMDb and stuff. IMDb has my credits, Kirk R. Thatcher. Um, uh, Instagram is just Kirk, I think it's Kirk R. Thatcher. Okay. I, I, I tend to keep the R in there because there's a few other Kirk Thatchers on the planet. Not too many, though. There's like four of us on on Facebook. Okay. Because I have other... Have you looked up Joseph Scrimshaws or Joe Scrimshaws? Yeah, there? yeah. there aren't a lot of Scrimshaws yeah. in general. Yeah. So there's like... I think there might be like two living yeah. Joseph yeah, or Joe Scrimshaws right there's now. There's three other ones, Kirk Thatcher's, and none of them have an R, so that's why I did it. But what's funny is we're all within 10 years of each other, and we're all big guys with beards. And one guy is actually a taxidermist, and he, he works with animals. I'm like, okay, there's this. It's something. the power it's like, of Kirk. That name Kirk must Kirk. work with Just monsters and animals. creatures, yeah. And two of them, two, so two of them live within an hour of each other in Michigan. So I'm like, okay, I got to go to Detroit and want to have a Kirk Thatcher convention for all three of us. <laughs> Kirk um, Con. Kirk Con. There you uh, go. All right. So, uh, we... so yeah. So my website, uh, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. I think those are the, uh, yeah. Um, if I do conventions, I'm doing Louisville uh, Galaxy Con, for those of you who live on that side of the country. Oh, yeah. Uh, in November, I think it's the 21st, 20, 21st through the 24th. So I'll be at GalaxyCon, and I just got asked to do something here in L.A. like next week. Um, give a talk about puppets and directing, oh, cool. specifically uh, writing and directing for puppets uh, at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater. Oh, I wonder nice. when does this air? This uh, this will be like might... a week and a half from now. Nah, I think it'll have, it'll have happened. Okay, then. well, you you should have been so there. So get listeners. in your time machines. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that's the only places right now I know you can see me. I, I very often do Dragon Con in, yeah. in uh, Atlanta. That's where we met. Um, and then, yeah, it just depends. Some years, like, weird conventions ask me to go and talk, yeah. do what I'm doing now is blather on about my career. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And you can usually find me at a tiki bar on Tuesday night somewhere. <laughs> that's a fun uh, scavenger hunt. Especially find, those find orgy. Kirk those people. Tuesday. Bring it all back. Those people who want to invite me to an orgy. Uh, so we do these uh, final questions. Uh, three of them. They're just fun. They is don't it lightning round? <laughs> yeah, you can make it lightning. <laughs> no, I, uh, if you right. can uh, shoot one of these two things out of your hands. Which mm. would you prefer, mm. fish or lightning? So it is kind of a lightning round. Lightning. Lightning. Blue Zealand does the fish thing, and I worked with him. Yeah, <laughs> boomerang fish. So yeah, lightning. I've, I've seen what fish does, so yeah, definitely lightning. If there was a video game based on your life, what would the main challenge be for the player? Oh, wow. <laughs> Finding a career. <laughs> it's like your challenge is to find a career and keep it for more than three years. Don't get pigeonholed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't get pigeonholed, but don't. But find something that actually keeps you employed for more than six months. <laughs> a very specific game of Sims, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, exactly. the final question for everyone on the podcast yes. is, what is happiness? Oh, that is a good... See, there's a deep philosophical question. <laughs> um, what is the Conan one? It's hearing the lamentation of their women. Uh, for me, happiness is doing... Well, for me specifically, I guess, because you asked me specifically, not, not the other people in my head, not Barney or little Tim or Mary Sue. They're all listening. Um, it's being with people you love, doing something you love um, or doing someone you love. Uh, no, for me, just pure happiness is is that is when I'm creating something with people. I, I That's the hardest thing for me being a writer is being alone. Yeah. Uh, because I, I just like, it's weird. Cause my first 20 years, I was a real loner, just drawing or writing on my own. That's 
And then I, I'm somewhat on the spectrum. I don't know if you can tell by the conversation, but <laughs> um, I kind of got socialized starting at ILM, like learning how to work with other people and be around other people. And then I kind of got addicted to friends and, and people and the, and the, the energy you get. I, yeah. I'm a bit of an empath. So when I'm around people are having fun, I, it's sort of like builds. I think everyone in entertainment gets yes. that, especially live entertainment where, you know, like when, when we met, we're doing that thing with a room full of a thousand people all laughing and cheering. You, you're just like, Oh my God, this is great. It's probably why yeah. you know, we're friends. Cause we're like, oh, that, was great. I, that was a great experience. So yeah, I think that for me, and the only other thing would be being in a beautiful environment, whether it's the ocean or the forest, um, usually around water. I don't like yeah. deserts too much, but it could be frozen water or tropical, but I like being around water. So let's see. Doing a comedy series in Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> or, or even this, even the Pacific Northwest, a comedy series in the, in the Redwoods with friends and creatures. That's <laughs> there you go. perfect. So the I Ewok am. comedy series. <laughs> Actually, I, I wanted to, well, I'll give it away and someone will steal it, but I wanted to pitch to, uh, because Lucasfilm now is you know doing so much stuff for Disney Plus. Right. Do a National Geographic of the future documentary on the Ewoks. Like, hey, here we are on the planet, the forest moon of Endor. <laughs> and, and the Ewoks are coming home from the hunt. And, and just do it straight. Yeah. But all the ridiculousness of, you know, like, but do it with, with Ewoks. But, you know, here's the giant creature they have to fend off. and Yeah. And that's the one thing that I don't think Lucasfilm has... Again, to me, Star Wars is so much about the humor. Yeah. The fun, I guess. Humor, yeah. not like slapstick. And uh, when, when Disney bought them, they seemed to have put the kibosh on that. In fact, we did uh, two or three uh, Pigs in Space episodes, Star Wars. Oh, theme. nice. And we were going to have Mark Hamill was going to do it. And J.J. Abrams was going to cameo. And then uh, Lucasfilm said, no. Wow. Can't do it. We don't want kids to think Star Wars is funny. Like, did you ever? I mean, what about Seth MacFarlane? I mean, well, that's that's the old, you know. Now we're 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 focusing on serious stuff. Yeah, and which is fine. And I'm not saying, but it, it, I, you know, it's a, it should be a big tent kind of franchise, especially if they want to keep it going. Yeah. So I I would love to do something like that with with them. I know I've talked to Marvel a little bit, not about Ewoks, but doing something fun. Maybe with the Muppets in the Mar. Like I, w- I would have when I, I became friends with Kevin Feige, and I said, "Oh, let me do Howard the Duck," and the guy that's spoken for. Cause yeah, that to me is like you know exactly my. That's perfect. That's but, a creature. But there must be another uh, franchise within Marvel. I, I talked about a couple, so I got to kind of get back on that. I've been doing other things, but uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, or doing a Marvel <laughs> comedy <laughs> that would be happiness. adventure. And, yeah, because they've got funding. I'm told. Yes, that is. I think. One of my favorite answers to what is happiness is an Ewok comedy. An Ewok <laughs> comedy happiness. in the Pacific Northwest with, yeah, with creatures in it. That's fun. Yeah. There you Thank go. you so much for doing the podcast. Oh my gosh. This was great. And it was great to see you again. Great uh, to see you as well. So next, next one will be UFOs <laughs> and uh, conspiracy theories. I could talk. Or have you already covered that one? I did. And actually did an episode with Dave Foley, but I'm, I oh, would love oh, to do another right. one. Dave Foley. We'll have us both on and then we can nerd out together and oh, just man. watch. I would love that. That's right. I heard that Dave Foley is, yeah. is a huge UFO. UFO fan. Um, my my UFO, uh, I, I don't think I'm outing him, is uh, Michael Giacchino. Oh, really? Composer. So you could have the two of us on. Oh, or I would love you, that. You could have Michael on. I mean, I'm, I'm now his publicist. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's got obsessions, too. But uh, he and I love... We, we go to UFO conventions together. Oh, and, man. And 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 we both kind of have that thing. It's like, I don't know if it's true or not, but, man, it's great to... You know, again, it's like... <laughs> it opens your imagination. 
oh my God, there's now groups of people who say, I'm half alien, I'm here on the earth, I've, I was created, you know, when they abducted some woman and I was, you know, they pulled me out at six weeks as an embryo and I'm part alien, part human. And they're walking around doing convention things. You're like, <laughs> it's like people go up there and say, I'm actually a part fairy. My mother was a fairy princess. And, yeah. and you're like, I just want to listen to you talk and ask you questions. <laughs> and, you know, other people are like, oh, they're crazy. I'm like, I prove that they, you know, you can't prove yeah. that they're not crazy. Um, you can't prove that, that they are, although they sound crazy. But anyway, I love that stuff. So anyway, next time. Sorry. That's that sounds like a great next time. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, man. This was awesome. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.